Good morning, Grace 242. I'm Diane Johnson, and I'll be reading the scripture passage for today. It comes from Matthew, chapter 21, verses 12 to 17. Hear the word of the Lord. Jesus clears the temple. Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out all the people buying and selling animals for sacrifice. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. He said to them, the scriptures declare, my temple will be called a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. The leading priests and the teachers of religious law saw these wonderful miracles and heard even the children in the temple shouting, praise God for the son of David. But the leaders were indignant. They asked Jesus, do you hear what those children are saying? Yes, Jesus replied. Haven't you ever read the scriptures? For they say, you have taught children and infants to give you praise. Then he returned to Bethany, where he stayed overnight. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hey, Grace242. When I was in about the fifth grade, I got into listening to music by listening to the radio. Now, certainly I had grown up listening to music and listening to the radio, but really I didn't get into listening to the radio for myself until I was in about the fifth grade. We had a radio mounted on the wall in our bathroom, and so I would turn on Oldies 95.7 when we were getting ready in the morning. And then my friends found out that I was listening to Oldies, and they're like, Bill, you gotta get rid of these Oldies. You gotta listen to something else. And so they turned me on to pop and top 40 type stuff on 101.1 WIXX and 94.5 WKTI. I got into listening to music when I was in the fifth grade, and it's been fun to watch my daughter Bryn get into listening to music now that she's in fifth grade. I loaded up this old iPad of mine with a bunch of music for her to listen to, and so whenever Bryn is doing her homework or working on an art project or maybe even writing a story, her head has earphones on it, and those ears are connected to this iPad, and she's listening to the artists that I've loaded up on there for her. Watching Bryn listen to music on the iPad transports me back to when I was in the fifth grade, listening to music. And today, Jesus is going to challenge us to transport ourselves back to when we were children. Today, Jesus is going to challenge us to become like children, using the example of children. Last week, we began our Holy Week timeline series with Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. He rides into the city and he goes into the temple to check on the place, likely to make sure that everything was ready for what he will do the following day on Monday. And Mark 11 verse 11 transitions us from Sunday to Monday. Look at Mark 11 verse 11. So Jesus came to Jerusalem and went into the temple. After looking around carefully at everything, he left because it was late in the afternoon. Then he returned to Bethany with the 12 disciples. So Jesus rides into Jerusalem, he checks on the temple to be sure that it's ready for what he will do the following day. And then he leaves the city again to return to Bethany where he is staying with his disciples. Bethany is a town that's about a mile and a half east of the city on the eastern slopes of the Mount of Olives. This brings us to our scripture reading today where Jesus goes into the temple to perform a dramatic prophetic act. Look with me at Matthew 21 and let's read verses 12 to 13. 
Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out all the people buying and selling animals for sacrifice. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. He said to them, The scriptures declare, My temple will be called a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. In last week's message, I brought up the question of how do we go from Hosanna, praise Jesus, on Sunday to crucify him, crucify him on Friday? Well, this is one of the reasons why that Jesus would go into the temple and drive out all the commerce. This is a prophetic act on the part of Jesus. And verse 13 is the key. Look at Matthew 21, verse 13. He said, the scriptures declare, my temple will be called a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. See, the temple was supposed to be a place of worship, the place of worship in many ways. But in Jesus' day, it wasn't a place of worship. It was a place of power, a place of politics, a place of commerce, and a place of, of wealth. The temple in Jesus' day was built by the Roman king, Herod the Great. Remember, the first temple was built by Solomon. Solomon's temple was destroyed when the Babylonians invaded Jerusalem. And when the king of Persia allowed the exiles to return, the temple was rebuilt under the leadership of Zerubbabel. That temple eventually fell into disrepair. So Herod the Great, wanting to gain political favor with the Jews, started rebuilding the temple in 18 BC. So the temple in Jesus' day began not as a place of worship to Yahweh, but as an act of shrewd political maneuvering. Herod the Great was a builder, so he built the temple to a massive scale. The entire mount, including the courtyards, was as big as 25 football fields. Jesus' temple clearing act is taking place here in the court of the Gentiles. You can imagine this massive courtyard area becoming like a marketplace of people buying and selling. Now let's pick up the narrative in Matthew 21 verse 14. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. So Jesus drives out all the commerce in the court of the Gentiles and then the sick come to him for healing. Now it's interesting that this takes place in the court of the Gentiles because that is the outermost ring of the temple's concentric circles of exclusion. Everyone was allowed in the court of the Gentiles. And then you go one level inward and only Jews were allowed in the next level of courtyard. And then you go one more level toward the center and only Jewish men were allowed in that concentric circle. And then you finally get to the innermost court, including the temple building itself, and only priests are allowed in that innermost court. Jesus driving out the commerce is an act of purification in this place of worship. He is purifying the temple ground. But then him doing it in the court of the Gentiles sends a signal that he is clearing the way. He is opening the way for those with a pure heart to come to the Messiah. In the way that the sick came to him, Jesus is saying it doesn't matter if you have social status or not, because the sick did not have social status. Whomever has a pure heart can come to me. Whoever wants a pure heart can come and worship me. Let's pick it up in Matthew 21, 15 to 16. The leading priests and the teachers of religious law saw these wonderful miracles and heard even the children in the temple shouting, praise God for the son of David. But the leaders were indignant. They asked Jesus, do you hear what these children are saying? Yes, Jesus replied, haven't you ever read the scriptures? For they say you have taught children and infants to give you praise. So Jesus, in the middle of these rings of exclusion, 
opens the way for anyone to come to him, including the sick who came for healing, but also these children who also had low status of the day. And these children are seeing Jesus for who he is. These children have purified hearts because they see Jesus for who he is, which is the Messiah. They even shout, praise to God for the son of David. They see Jesus as the Messiah. They recognize Jesus as the anointed one, the promised one who would come, the descendant of David that they've been waiting for. The children can see. The kids recognize what the religious leaders and the teachers of the law miss. The kids see Jesus for who he is. They know he's the Messiah and they praise him as such. And then it's really interesting that of all the people who ought to know better, the teachers of religious law and these priests say, hey, aren't you gonna make these kids be quiet, Jesus? And Jesus turns to them and says, of all the people who ought to know who I am, you ought to know who I am because you're supposed to know the scriptures. And the scriptures say, and Jesus references Psalm 8 verse 2, which says, from the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise. You ought to know that the Bible says that kids would sing the praises of the Messiah. And here I am, and you're completely missing it. In fact, you're telling me to shut down the praises of the ones who do see. The children see what the religious leaders and the teachers of the law do not see. The children see Jesus as the Messiah, and the religious leaders completely miss it. Turn a few chapters back to Matthew chapter 11, and let's read a prayer of Jesus in verse 25. At that time, Jesus prayed this prayer, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever, and for revealing them to the childlike. Jesus' prayer is happening here in the temple on Monday that the truth is being obscured from those who ought to know better. It's being hidden from the religious leaders and the teachers of the law, and it's being made known to the childlike. Specifically, in this case, it's being made known to the children. They see Jesus for who he is, and the truth is obscured to the religious leaders. I think things get really practical for us today when we look at the contrasting reactions to Jesus between the children and the religious leaders. And I think the takeaway for us today is we want to be children. We don't want to be like those religious leaders. In Matthew 11:25, Jesus talks about becoming childlike. And this is where we get our phrase, childlike faith. And I've always wondered, what does that mean, childlike faith? I think a childlike faith is a holistic reliance and trust on our Heavenly Father. That we, like a child relies on their parent for survival, we rely on our Heavenly Father for our survival. A child without their parent is not going to survive very long. And us without our Heavenly Father, we're not going to survive very long. We trust that our Father cares for us like a loving parent. We trust that our Father loves us like a loving parent. We trust that our Father knows and wants what's best for us like a loving parent. And we trust that because our Heavenly Father knows and wants what's best for us, that He sovereignly arranges our lives towards those ends. Childlike faith is a holistic trust and reliance on the Heavenly Father. Now, I want to tread lightly here and I want to be careful, but I think a childlike faith indicates that we have such a level of trust in our Heavenly Father that it transcends reality. 
that it transcends, maybe we might even say what's advisable. That it's like, I don't care what the world says or how the world normally works or what's considered to be possible and impossible because I trust my Heavenly Father. I mean, Jesus even says in Matthew 19, 26, all things are possible with God. With man, this is impossible, but with God, this is possible. That's a verse of childlike trust. And it's like, I don't care because all things are possible with God. Sure, it's impossible for humans, but for my heavenly father, I trust him because all things are possible. You know how as a kid, you have this wonder and it's like no holds barred, the sky's the limit. And then you carry that idealism into early adulthood and you're ready to take on the world and change things for the better as a young adult. But then you become jaded and cynical as a grown-up because, well, you see how the world really works and nothing's really ever going to fix these things and things aren't going to get any better. Well, I think having a childlike faith is taking that idealism and that wonder into our relationship with our Heavenly Father and saying, I don't care how messed up things are. I don't care what's possible for humans in this world because I trust my Heavenly Father and with Him all things are possible. I told you that Bryn has been listening to this iPad that I've loaded up with songs for her and one of those songs is Rattle by Elevation Worship, which is a really good song to get ready for Resurrection Sunday. And on Monday night, I had told Morgan about the TSU being flooded and how we were flipping to house churches this coming Sunday as a response to that. And, and I must have had some sadness in my voice when I told Morgan about that plan, or maybe I sounded defeated or beaten down when I told Morgan that plan, because later that evening, Bryn came up to me and told me that she had been listening to Rattle. And she said, and Dad, in that song Rattle, they say, God's not going to run out of miracles anytime soon. She said, and I just think you needed to be reminded that our God doesn't run out of miracles. That's childlike faith. And my daughter hears this message and is reminded, our Heavenly Father, He does miracles. So we can trust Him. Just be reminded, Dad, as you're flooded out of TSU, and as you have to scramble to make other plans, our God doesn't run out of miracles. That's childlike faith. We are almost at a three-year anniversary in an exercise in childlike faith. Because once we get halfway through this month, the month of March, it'll be three years since we left the Nature Preserve. And I gotta tell you, I never would have thought when we left the Nature Preserve that three years later we would still be searching for our permanent worship home. We left the Nature Preserve and went into house churches because I wanted to do something that was more meaningful than streaming and, and do my best to keep some relationships intact and keep us at least close to some of us, keep us together as best we could. And I never would have thought that three years later we'd still be praying for the Lord to lead us somewhere. And I'll be honest with you, there were times throughout this three-year journey, and it still happens sometimes, where I carry this guilt with me because I couldn't tell you what a picture in my head of Grace 242's future looked like. It's like, what pastor doesn't know what the future ought to look like for their church? I, I, I couldn't tell you with a whole lot of specificity what it looked like. And so I almost felt guilty because I had trouble picturing where I wanted Grace 242 to be in three years. But I did know one thing, even though I had a hard time picturing our future, I did know I can be faithful. I can trust that our Heavenly Father is caring for us and I can be obedient to Him. 
And I can trust that He loves us and that He's caring for us and leave the picture of the future up to Him. And that became the best strategy that I could find was to simply trust that our Heavenly Father was caring for us. And He did show signs of care. I mean, right now I'm filming at Christ Church Mequon and, and they've been tremendous to open up their facility to us, for me to basically film wherever I want, whenever I want. They've been a huge blessing. And despite the fact that it's flooded, TSU has been incredible to us. Alliance Bible has been really good to us and loves having us at TSU. But I think it's become apparent that TSU is not our permanent home. And perhaps the flooding, <laughs> the fact that we've been yanked out of that place, is just God's reminder that this is not your long-term home. It's been a long three years trusting that our Heavenly Father is caring for us. It's been a long three years having childlike faith and just trusting, God, I can't picture the future, but I know it's in your hands and it's my job to be obedient. It's been a long three years of that. But I think the Lord is providing some concrete evidence that He is caring for us. We feel that God has been caring for us and that recently His care for us has been expressed in 249 Main Street in Thienesville, which stands right behind me. The elders are actively pursuing 249 Main Street as the next home for Grace 242. In fact, we are currently awaiting terms of lease from the landlord. But God has been caring for us and He's been showing us His care here at 249 Main Street because He's given us favor with the landlord, He's given us favor with the municipality. In fact, the village looked at the zoning and said that it would be okay, according to zoning, for a church to be in the space behind us. And now we need to pursue an occupancy permit, which there's a whole bunch of details that go into getting that occupancy permit, some of which are listed in the things that you're going to be praying over in a moment. So my ask today at the end of this message would be that you would step into the Lord's presence with a pure heart and a childlike faith. And as we pray over this place here, 249 Main Street, Thienesville, that you would have this childlike trust that God has taken care of us, that He is taking care of us right now, and that He will take care of us in the future. The leadership really has a sense that this is the next place for Grace 242, and God has been making good on that sense. And so please, as you come to the Lord's table today, and as you pray over this space, have a childlike faith that our God does indeed love us and that in that love over us, He takes care of us. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we approach the table your Son sets for us, purify our hearts so that we may worship you. May we sing your praises like the children in the temple and may you fashion us into your obedient and faithful children. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for loving us and for caring for us. We love you, Dad. Amen.